is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Off the Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, Joe, my host, Nick and Dan, special guests, Naz and Matlock, because we are live from Classic Football Shirts in London. We made it. Hey! Uh, gracious hosts, uh, to the point where they actually gave free beers, Nick, to everyone that came. That's not 100% true, but, you know, <laughs> we're here and drinking them regardless, right? <laughs> Good opportunity to, uh, to big them up. Hey, that's but what I'm saying. the gifts keep coming with them. Not only do we get beers and an amazing uh, place with crazy kits, what else do we get? 20% off for anyone who's in this little studio right now today. If you're looking at a nice little shirt, perhaps at that rack... That looks beautiful over there. You can just step on up and have twenty percent off of that. So, uh, very. I see very a few generous. eyes that lit up there. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Well, that'll be good. We're very excited. Uh, Dan, thank you for showing up on time this trip, unlike in Porto. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I. Brandon, thanks for showing up at all. <laughs> for this trip. Uh, I had a doctor's note that I was not. Uh, wow, it was okay. different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's nice that your doctor gave you a clearance, though, for this trip. So uh, we really appreciate you making the effort to come out here this time. Look, uh, that was just the gods telling me I should not leave one month before my wedding to go to London. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was the universe talking to me. So. All right. Anyways, Matt and Naz, the esteemed guests of honors um, or Matt and Niz, as I think you've branded yourselves, Matt. <laughs> are you? Th- well, I'm. I'm interested by this. When are you Naz and when are you Niz? Uh, I Naz. Naz tends to be the guy I put in a taxi <laughs> in Orlando <laughs> at 4 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. And Niz tends to be the guy in the press conferences acting professional. Yeah. Then maybe that's fair. Maybe. I'll be Niz so today. I'll be Niz today. I'll be Niz today. The duality Boo. of Niz. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Naz later. Naz is more Yeah. We are in East London after all, so it's where Naz comes out, I think. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, th- that'll be exciting. Um, we've got just some high-level uh, you know, questions we want to ask. Since we get you both separately, maybe we can start to join them together and double yeah. down on the superpowers. Um, so we'll kick it off. Nick, right away, the little bit of stru- organizational structuring of the club, which has been ever dynamic under Todd Bowley. Yeah, we're, we're not going to talk about like super timely things today because this episode is going to live on for for a while, but I think my first question to you guys is just about the club structure. What has kind of, I guess, as we've gone throughout the year, what's kind of popped up as the official structure? How are they working together? Can you guys give us a little bit more insight as to what we're looking at compared to the previous regime, which was obviously a different sort of organizational principle? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a different club. I mean, it's a completely different club. It used to be... Um, very, very small sort of balance of power under the previous regime. You, you basically, in terms of football, you basically had Roman Marina and whoever the head coach was at the time. Obviously, people around it, but in terms of football, they were the decision makers. There wasn't any other voices in the room, pretty much. Um, and now there are a lot of voices in the room. Um, you can argue whether that's become a positive or a negative at the moment because it feels a little bit muddled sometimes. I think the interesting thing with the new structure is that when they first announced it, they were going to have um, Paul Wynn Stanley and they were going to have Vivelle as the sort of co-sporting directors on the football side of things. And Lawrence Stewart was announced as the guy who was in charge of a more global thing, i.e. probably sorting out uh, feeder clubs and stuff like that. And then they re-announced it a couple of months later when the, the guys could start full-time and had, having served their their notice at their previous clubs. And actually, it's turned out that Lawrence and Paul are co-sporting directors and Vivelle has become the global guy. So even within their own structure, there's been a change which wasn't properly sort of flagged. It was just done within an announcement that was put on the website. So they've already changed things around. I think I've said on this, this show before that... I. Win Stanley has impressed people. That the owners really like him. I think that Lawrence uh, has worked in tandem with them quite well as well. Um, I don't quite know what's gone on with Vival, if I'm quite honest with you. But clearly, they feel his talents. I mean, Leipzig obviously have the multi-club, and maybe 
from what, for whatever reason. But they obviously feel that his talents are more driven towards that at the moment. I don't know what Niz thinks. Yeah, I think um, I think that they they're basically hiring guys from clubs they really admire. So you got Vivelle, Leipzig. You've got a Brighton guy in Win Stanley, Monaco as well uh, with Lawrence Stewart. So it's kind of that thing. Joe Shields as well is very um, respected in the sort of youth game, and uh, he brought Jaden Sancho through. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's got Romeo Lavia as well. So there's a lot of guys who've who've come through him. So there's also that structure underneath where. Potter's involved and he's got uh, his guy, uh, Macaulay, isn't it? Kyle Macaulay. Um, and then he's working with Joe Shields as well on sort of academy stuff, a lot of data analysis, a lot of scouting. So it's a huge operation. They've just sort of flung all these guys together from all different areas. So, you know, while while Chelsea are having issues, there's sort of all these people working behind the scenes trying to work well together who've never worked together before. It's not like they've plucked out all guys from the same club. These are all guys from different clubs trying to work a structure out and it's it's happening on the fly. And then, of course, above that, you've got the owners who are still very hands-on, as we've seen, you know, Enzo Fernandez's deal. You've got Bedad Egbali uh, doing it and um, he was flying to Turkey as well to do Mudrick. So we've got that situation as well all around it. So, you know, it's quite complex, as Matt says, with lots of people it's involved. It's in January as well. I mean, it's, it's no coincidence that, you know, Datro Fafana was going to go to Brighton, Paul Wynn Stanley, he ends up at Chelsea. Badia Shiel from Monaco, Lawrence Stewart. Um, Noni Madueke, again, was a Brighton target. They couldn't afford him, he ends up at Chelsea. You've got, um, oh, forgetting his name, for Nkunku, who's going to come in from Leipzig, clearly. It's very clear that they've all come in and given recommendations, and the owners have tried to work on that. And it's created a lot of numbers because there's a lot of people saying, get this guy, this guy, this guy, and they're, they're, they've delivered that. Some people have said it feels like they've all had one. You know, you come in at a new job. We <laughs> all get one, right? <laughs> so at least no. Yeah. Or like maybe push back. But at this point, we're just, we're taking them all. Yeah, like, we'll take them all. Which is <laughs> Jeez. Um, I guess the follow-up with that too, um, you know, just seeing how it operates. It's going to take time to bet in and things like that. It has been kind of funny seeing the the Brighton ownership group and stuff have a little banter back and forth at Chelsea. They even told the cleaning staff at Brighton to to, to keep your phones off. We need you here. It's, uh, it's opening up into being an interesting relationship. But why I bring that up is because, and, and I'm hoping you can shed light, it seems from the outside that Todd and Bedad are well-liked amongst the league. They're maybe not considered to be difficult to work with or things like that? Have they come in? I know Todd bought the meal at the Premier League meeting early in the season. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like they're doing the right things to to build relationships within the league? Well, we saw that in the summer, didn't we? Do you remember the whole Barcelona thing? I mean, the, there was a thing in the summer where they were kind of competing against Barcelona for everybody, and there was this back and forth Barcelona, and yet um, Todd particularly had also struck up a, a relationship with Barcelona. And I know that it confused other people within football that these guys are kind of battling for signings and battling over signings and there's Frankie de Jong and stuff like that going on and yet they also seem to be getting on so they seem to be able to separate the the, the work yeah. and the, the actual relationship side and that's been evident with Brighton you know Brighton the, the way they talk about each other is quite kind of bantery it's quite kind of fond whereas it would have been easy for Brighton to actually be saying these guys have come in and, and killed it. You know, we, we hate these guys, but it, there's not been a sense mm. of that yet. My one caveat is that everyone wants to sell to Chelsea because they pay the most. I mean, Chelsea are back top of the transfer market, the biggest club. But the other thing is, though, as well, I think the that this is in their favour, that Todd and Bedad really understand that they need a strong Premier League, they need a strong European football ecosystem. So... You know, everyone wants their team to dominate football, to dominate the Premier League, to dominate European football. And Chelsea want to get back to that point. These guys want to get there, um, but at the same time, they need they need Premier League clubs. They need strong a strong Premier League because why do we watch the Premier League? It's because you don't know what's going to happen in the match. You don't know what's going to happen. Not like in La Liga or or in Italian football. Like we don't know if. Man City going to beat Newcastle this weekend. It's, it's, they've got a chance, Newcastle, a good chance. And, and every match has some peril in it. So I think that they they really like what the Premier League is as well. Um, and before they bought Chelsea, they did the whole... They'd probably interview. prefer a little less peril. Right yeah, now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> less peril is good. Too much peril right now. But um, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the advantage of the Premier League. Hey guys, real quick, 
editor Jake here to say that we're going to jump to an ad break and we will be right back. Are you missing out on your favorite shows because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. If you're bored of the US Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with 5,000 plus servers. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. You can receive a huge discount on a two year plan with one month free. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an effective file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with our 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check it out. My link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. So one of the things that's been a topic of conversation off the pitch, so we've talked a lot about like what's going on with Chelsea right now in terms of league form. We'll save that for later conversation. But it's about what happens to some of the footballing-centric elements like the stadium redevelopment, Cobham's redevelopment, the other billion-plus pounds of investment that you know Badad and Todd are on the hook for in terms of improving Chelsea from a total club infrastructure standpoint. I know, Matt, you had a piece mm-hmm. earlier this week kind of talking through the specifics of a couple of scenarios that really sit in front of Chelsea right now to determine what happens next to Stamford Bridge. And there are things that the CPO, the Chelsea Pitch Owners Group, is invested in, is involved in. But how are you seeing that, like, in terms of all the things that they're trying to take care of, how is this fitting into their decision matrix or their prioritization for spending energy on it when also the footballing results have been a little bit of a challenge? Well, yeah, I mean, it's massive, but they do have separate teams. You know, Todd and Badad have been quite hands-on with the football, but they've left the stadium mainly to Jonathan Goldstein, who's on the board. Um, So it's not like they're having to personally do nine to five on the stadium, but I know it's a huge, huge thing for them. And, you know, frankly, what they decide and the decisions that are being made on the stadium is much bigger than actually the decision to be made on the manager or the head coach or whatever. I know it might not feel like it immediately, but for the future of the football club it is. Um, they had a meeting this week. Todd went to a meeting this week with the CPO. I know that for sure. Um, and they're waiting and they should get some confirmation quite soon about a bid they've got in on a site next to Stamford Bridge, which is quite key to whether they'd be able to open up Stamford Bridge and open up the entrance sites to create a much better fan experience and a much better kind of entrance and that, that will be a big dig decision. The housing company who own it are called Stoll. They deny this at the moment, but I'm told that Chelsea are the preferred bidders for that site for 50 million and that they would expect to get it. Stoll say that there's still a process to go through. I think I'm right, not them. <laughs> um, but they, they should hear something about that. We're, we're in March. I think in March there is, is due to be a decision on that. So the next month or so is going to be quite a key time on decisions around the stadium. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, it's huge. And there's, 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 there's three options that everybody knows. And quite frankly, what they want to deliver is not ultimately the problem. It's what happens in the meantime. And the, the options in the meantime to get to where they want to be is a bit like you've got to choose the, wor- the, the best of the worst options. Mm. You know, people don't want to move away from Stamford Bridge. So that uh, if anyone who doesn't want to move away from Stamford Bridge, that takes out that option. The standby stand is just a complete and utter nightmare from what I gather. It would take a very long time. You might even not even end up with a great stadium. And obviously, the one that Roman was going to do, which is probably still the most likely, the complete re- rebuild, they've got to go and play somewhere for five, six years. And it's not particularly palatable. So mm. people are going to have to be realistic that to get to an end goal, there's going to be a bit of pain involved. Mm. Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that, I mean, Matt's piece is amazing. You should check it out. But um, I just add that, like, 
the revenues and financial fair play are getting really squeezed. Like UEFA have changed their rules with financial fair play. So if you can bring in the revenues, you can spend more money. So that's kind of the idea why a new stadium is so important. And Tottenham's new stadium, that is bringing in some serious money as well. So Chelsea needs something that can compete. It's basically an arms race in what you can provide. And, and it's going to be the same across the Premier League. Chelsea has some difficulty though, right? Because they cannot build up... Yeah, <laughs> like correct. Tottenham could, yeah. so they have to build down, which causes all sorts of confusion with the rail well, literally system. Literally, just to just to knock down Stam, if they want to do the rebuild, just to knock down Stamford Bridge and remove the debris is eighteen months at least. Mm. That's you're not even touching anything. You're literally just knocking down the odd one and getting rid of all the bricks. I think they looked into whether you could do it overnight to try and speed it up, but you can't because the residents, quite understandably, are not going to have that noise yeah. going on with. So, yeah. Can, can I mean, we ask for a little bit of sacrifice from the <laughs> residents, please? The residents might be Tottenham fans, though. You don't know. <laughs> logistically, though, I mean, in all seriousness, logistically, it's a nightmare. Hmm. I mean, logistically, it's a, it's it's a really horrible situation. It's absolutely enclosed. Yeah. There's two ways out of there. So when you're pulling the debris, you're right on Fulham Broadway, <laughs> and it's not a big road to get in and out of it too yeah. so like it is very landlocked you have the railroad on the one side obviously the housing that might give you a little bit excess but i guess naz do you have any insight of like maybe how palatable this this the council are there because the yeah. big difference between the united states is the owner of a franchise goes i'm gonna leave if you don't give me a billion dollars in tax relief and the city goes oh no don't leave <laughs> and then they get a billion dollars in tax relief here it's completely different yeah. like isn't my understanding that the club would have to pay local shops and owners maybe for potential lost revenues and things like that it's very much the opposite where the you have a ton of small businesses that depend on on football yeah right yeah well the good thing is i think in the end you know the council will want it to happen because if there's sixty thousand fans instead of forty thousand fans that's going to help all the businesses isn't it the shops the the bars and all that kind of stuff and that area of of london really needs the great cigar bar there nearby by the way (laughs) can't recommend it okay great recommendation um yeah so i think that i think it'll get waved through but it's the it's the short term that's the problem the medium term you know the knocking down the stadium, the debris, all the all the road, the noise, the 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 blocking of the light was a big thing, wasn't it? With Roman's plans, somebody's garden was going to lose like light from the stadium being a certain height. So you have things like you that. You can't have that. No, no. Obviously. Well, you can't ruin my property price just because you want a great world class stadium. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the problem. You got to go through all these small problems, and Roman Abramovich went through those problems, and then it turned out that the the stadium problem project was abandoned so these guys are having to do that and um i think that when it gets to it it's going to feel a bit frustrating can i ask about like the the best of the worst scenarios um obviously chelsea have been denied twickenham for a number of years right because that would make sense big stadium whatever residents around there don't like football don't like football fans can't have it they're rugby fans right Yeah. Yeah. yeah um what what is the best of the worst you put Fulham in the article, and I was well, like, woof, I wonder how that works. See, I, I would speak differently from anyone else in this room because I'm not a Chelsea fan, so I can speak dispassionately. Whereas yeah. Yeah. Nazar is a massive I've got to say that if you're looking at it dispassionately, the best scenario is actually to try and move out to Earl's Court. You can all boo me now and If you were looking at it purely from business, you can stay in Stamford Bridge and play in Stamford Bridge while you build on a site in Earl's Court. Earl's Court is walkable from Stamford Bridge. It's not like you're moving Chelsea out to the other side of of wherever. And if that, in in my opinion, if that were to happen, you would offer the CPO the same deal. You would give them the same rights on the new place as you had on the old place. But I get that if you said to me as a Villa fan, do that for Villa Park, I'd be like, no chance. Yeah. We're staying in Villa Park. So, put, you know, straddling both sides a little bit, the best case scenario is probably the rebuild. The, the standby stand just isn't realistic. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that's just not, that's a no-go. So you do the rebuild, and then you probably do Craven Cottage for Premier League games, and you have to do Wembley for Champions League games, because Craven Cottage can't hold Champions League games. And I know that's not great, but I, I'm yet to think or hear of a, suggestion that's realistic that that could happen other than that 
Yeah, just Chelsea and Fulham are kind of friends. They're not they're not the most hated of rivals, I don't Frenemies. think. Frenemies. So, yeah. Frenemies, yeah. It's like the least awful rivalry in uh, in London <laughs> football, I think. So it could be done, and it's a great stadium. Um, yeah, I think that the most important thing for Chelsea fans, I'm not a Chelsea fan myself, but when you talk to them, it's you've got a you've got a state Stamford Bridge. You've got a the the CPO thing is a really big deal, and and you know it's captured a lot of hearts, and and uh, it helps Chelsea Football Club as well. It gives the fans a little bit of leverage over the club. If there's anything they don't like, the fans kind of have the pitch over the club. So the other thing yeah. is as well. I mean, I, I wrote it in the article. It's actually. Earls Court, they've got development plans for Earls Court. You might not be able to buy Earls Court in any case, and in which case, if Earls Court you can't buy, there's, there's probably not another realistic site. Uh, anything that either of you can add on maybe, um, you know, the, the changes to the stadium? Because we all know with Roman's plans, it was heavy on more corporate seating, not really a lift in kind of, you know, I guess your season tickets, right? The, the seats in the stands. Any idea about that, or is that far too early? Because we all know that a bigger stadium, you want more revenue, catering, potentially events. Is he looking to go toe to toe with Tottenham with their concerts? As you just published a breaking Beyonce article in Tottenham <laughs> tonight, Matt. Appreciate that. But just in Tottenham don't have a license to hold <laughs> Beyonce at their stadium. I love that story, by the way. But, but in all seriousness, like, do you have any idea? Are they looking to make it multi-purpose? Find different ways. Add an F1 well, track, uh, especially yada. after we just saw. Todd taking a video of the yellow wall, right? Supporter section, proper mm, yeah. supporter section, loud, big thing. Like, is that the way that they're hoping to go, or are they hoping to to make it more of the the F one track? Really boring answer, but probably a bit of both. Yeah, um, but but more weighted towards getting what you would class as more normal fans and creating something like that than, than possibly the previous plans that, that you referenced with Roman and not fully corporate. Um, they will definitely want to do events. I mean, they've already got a planning um, a planning application in at the moment, even in Stamford Bridge in its own right, to try and hold more outdoor events around games. Um, I think that's due to be heard this month as well, in, in which case they could hold sort of more fan parks events and maybe have some sort of bands and things going on, but on, only on the day of the games in the day. They'd clearly want some events, but I don't see them going down the Tottenham route where clearly the stadium is the cash cow and literally basically living off that stadium. I don't see them going down that route. And I don't really see them being able to because they're just not going to have the space. Even if they, assuming it is at the current site, mm whatever they do at the current site, they're not going to quite have the space to do that in any case. Well, and you talked about in your piece, too, about the fact that the naming rights are going to be a little bit of a mm. different conversation, too. I mean, we're very used as uh, American supporters of having, you know, the uh, X number stadium, you know, presented by, like, you know, Doritos or, you know, like something of that nature. Well, who <laughs> among us doesn't love a Dorito stadium? <laughs> really? They'll even Why have not? the stadium named, and then the field has a separate yeah. sponsor. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sponsor. yeah. Squeeze, squeeze it all. <laughs> but that, I mean, I think Chelsea fans would rather have pitch sponsors and sort of um, the matches presented by sponsors than changing the name of the stadium. Mm. And I think they're very aware of that. They've proved it with the Dodgers. They don't want to change the Dodgers stadium actual name as such. I haven't been specifically told this, but I've been guided towards it, let's say, that that's probably more what they would look at than a, a stadium name change, yeah. All right, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, you guys have covered the previous administration and are now kind of embedding into the new administration. What has surprised you so far about the new administration? I'll let you take this. I, could, I just, yeah, I mean, what surprised everyone is the, the amount of signings, you know. Um, my job's been so busy sort of chasing after stuff and uh, some of the players they've signed is completely different. Like, I don't think Roman Abramovich would have signed... Um, let's say Datro for fan of the first team squad, probably not even Badia Shile. Um, there'd be a chance they go on loan and things like that. So that kind of thing surprised me. Um, I do think they've been actually really positive, like open, a lot of like, you know, people are speaking on the record, um, talking about what Chelsea's going to become and all this kind of stuff. So that's kind of surprised me in a positive front. So uh, yeah. Um, I mean, even the appointment of Graham Potter as well, we go into that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think he would have been considered under Abramovich. Um, and the and the patient game as well with him, I think, is is quite logical because I think 
there were diminishing returns from the Abramovich hiring and firing approach. Um, I think that you know the reason Chelsea were a cup team was because of that hiring and firing approach. Massively, you know, you have to you have to build to do what Man City are doing, and they've really raised the bar um, in terms of just consistent results. And and the league is the ultimate barometer. Like you can win a cup um, through a good defence, through um, you know some good signings, um, just getting a bit of luck along the way and stuff. But the league is really a true barometer of quality, and we have the best league in the world right now in this country as well. So your, your boy level. Casemiro even said that recently. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But that, that might be... League Cup winner Casemiro <laughs> to you. Hey, now. Hey, not real, to shame. Real glory now, real glory. The League Cup, the one everyone wants. Um, yeah, so I think that that sort of stuff, um, that sort of stuff surprised me. I don't know what you've, what you've been seeing. I know Matt's oh. Matt's like size. He's like I explained <laughs> it earlier. They have 15 people I have to call before I just tried to ring up Marina. It was easier. I yeah. wish. I wish. Um, God, it, I mean, it's literally just a different club. It is literally just a different club. I mean, away from just the football, the the com side of it. The, I mean, I I don't think I'm betraying confidences to say we've we've met the owners three times. Mm. I mean, obviously, none of us met Roman Abramovich. Did you ever meet Roman Abramovich? No, I made eye contact with him once, and I was terrified. Yeah. <laughs> um, we saw him in the tunnel underneath the uh, the Patriots Stadium yeah. after the yep. the yep. St. Yeah. Hate game. And even then, I was scared for my life because of the people he was with that yeah. were protecting him. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, literally everything is different. Every every facet of the club. Mm down to the minutest detail is different. It feels like a completely different club, which I can understand is difficult because even though they want to change the culture, there's still a culture of Chelsea from the last 19 years of, of winning every week and, and being a club that wins and succeeds and that's what everything's judged by. So those two things are clashing at the moment and it's difficult and it's a, it's obviously a period of transition and pain. Um but I suspect at, at some point those those two facets will start to intermingle slightly better rather than just hitting each other like they probably are at the moment. What's probably not been appreciated too much, I think, is that oh, it's not just the football side, but every head of department basically has left the club and been replaced by a new head of department. You're talking marketing, you're talking medical, you're talking all kinds of aspects of the club. So it's just like... It's everybody's just like, learning on the job. Yeah. I mean, literally, everybody is learning on the job. Everybody's new. Yeah. To be quite honest with you, the, the way these people go is they like to trust talent rather than necessarily yeah. experience. So you've got a lot of people who are now heads of department who were probably number twos in department in their yeah. previous job. A lot of them are in the 30s as well. Yeah, yeah. A lot of young people. Yeah. And a lot of it is trusting that these people will grow into their roles. So people, the whole club's pretty much learning on the job. I, I hate to give credit to Brandon Busby at any point, as you guys will know, but he he essentially equated on the show the other day that we're taking a three to four year rebuild and it seems like they're trying to condense it into mm. eighteen months. Yeah. Right? Doing a whole bunch of stuff now, understanding there will be pain because of that, yeah. but but the acceleration is more important than yeah. you know, kind of making sure everyone's comfortable essentially. Mm. Is that what you guys are feeling? Yeah, they're they're very confident that they will get to where they want to get. And if there's a period in between where things look silly or it's painful, mm. they don't really care to be quite quite honest. I don't mean that in terms of don't care about the fans. I mean it, the public perception, the, probably the media. Mm. They don't care if they get some stick along the way. Todd doesn't care about how many gifts are made <laughs> of, of his reactions at all, no? No, he's not He's not reacting to a result. I think it's what what we maybe fall guilty of, everyone in, in football really, is just sort of we react to the results are really high off a win, really low, but they don't, they don't see it that way. They're seeing it a long game. Um, you know, they don't probably don't even check in Twitter that much when they when they've been beaten. So I think it's they that do. kind of approach. I yeah. think they do. <laughs> um, but I, I, I just think they someone once said to me about mm. football, and it's always lived with me, that it doesn't if you get to the right end result, in in actual fact, it doesn't really matter how you get there. And I think there's a there's a there's a bit of this within Chelsea at the moment that they're going to make mistakes along the way. They've got to accept that. The part of their sort of reasoning is we, we don't mind if people make mistakes as long as we, we think we're going to get to our end goal. They're going to make mistakes. There's going to be a period of pain, but they think they're going to get to their end goal. And if they get to their end goal within 
18 months, two years, three years, mm. they will feel that whatever went in between time mm. didn't essentially matter that much because it was just part of getting there. You mentioned um, Casemiro as well earlier, which is probably the opposite signing that what Chelsea would make. Um, and he's obviously been amazing, uh, made a huge impact on the team, but it's not the kind of player Chelsea wants. They And even Jurgen Klopp today, you know, Manchester United playing Liverpool this weekend, um, he said Casemiro has been amazing, but it's not the kind of signing we're after. And, and Chelsea kind of feel like that as well. They're not, they're not envious of it. They've got Enzo Fernandez, 21 years old, but he's going to have to... He's going to have to adapt to the league. He's going to have to take a lot longer. It's probably going to hurt Potter's team as well. He'd probably rather have Casemiro for immediate results. But Enzo Fernandez will grow into a superstar player. Um, he already is a superstar player. He's won the World Cup. But, I mean, the Premier League is going to be an adapting period for him. So there's there's been these decisions have negatively impacted the team in the short term. And it's really hard right now. But eventually they hope uh, that, like what Matt was saying, that it will herald results but it might be a year might be two years might be three yeah so chelsea in terms of just finishing in a top four position looks uh further and further away but they're still in the champions league they still have an opportunity the the why not s us engine can continue to push forward with there an opportunity to you, you, knew it was coming, didn't you? <laughs> you knew it was coming chaos and um but considering, like, just to potentially a uh, a worst case scenario, Chelsea don't qualify, they don't finish top four. Obviously, there's a accounting problem then that Chelsea start to face in terms of not being able to book Champions League revenue, Europa League revenue, maybe like a Conference League revenue. That would be a very interesting. London is Chelsea blue. Budget. Accounting edition. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Come on. Um, finance nerding out tonight. That's that's what everybody wanted. And so, with that in mind, what are some maybe things that you're hearing about Chelsea trying to do. And we talked about like naming the field. We talked about, uh, you know, previously new shirt sponsors, things of that nature. Obviously, you know, Glick is now in as kind of the head of business. It seems like there's going to be a lot that we learn about over the next, you know, three to six months in terms of what Chelsea are doing kind of from a business standpoint to really maximize the earning potential of the club. Yeah, the, the commercial side has already changed a lot. They've brought a lot of people in, and there's going to be more hires for sure. The commercial side's grown massively. And they're in quite a nice position in the fact that the three sponsorship ends naturally, and the whale fin sponsorship on the sleeve has obviously gone wrong. Um, mm. But that does give them an opportunity because they can renegotiate different deals with different companies, which they will. Um, and obviously try to get more. And I don't think being out of the Champions League one year will impact what they can get out of their sponsors um, because the talks have already gone on. They're more long-term than one season out of the Champions League. So I would suspect that they will beat their commercial revenues on both the front of shirt sponsor and the sleeve sponsor that they previously had, maybe by some considerable distance. Bad news, guys, is that the Singer deal's got two years to run, so you're still going to be drinking very sad. Singer beer for two years, and there's no way out of that. Can't be worse than Carabao. <laughs> um, Not as good as the beers in here. Classic football <laughs> shirts. Shout out to them. <laughs> um, but uh, in terms of what you say, so the worst case scenario is they get done on FFP. Let's let's just take worst case scenario now. They get really being a downer, yeah. man. Let, let's, really let's unfortunate. You, you get nothing like a little uplifting <laughs> content for the for the Chelsea, team here. Chelsea get. Let's just say Chelsea Chains get done on FFP. Nothing. The first punishment you get is fine only. First first punishment. So worst case scenario, they have to pay a fine. You're not going to get any sort of transfer ban. You're not going to get anything else. First punishment is you get a fine. So. They would have to pay a fine. They may have factored that in, for all we know. PSG were fined about nine million for breaking FFP. Yeah. So I think Chelsea can absorb a nine million pound I, fine. I, look, this is a complete yeah. guess, but I would suspect they've factored in the potential for having to pay a fine and think it's worth it. Then after that, there's clearly going to be a clear out because there's a billion players in that squad. <laughs> None are healthy. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they do have the ability to sell a lot of homegrown products should they want won't be necessarily popular which count basically for double or triple in terms of ffp points to, to put it in, in the simplest possible scenario so if you sell i'm not going to say they are going to sell him and I, I want it clear that i'm not saying they're selling him but let's say you sell a channel bar for 20 million that's going to 
get you far more FFP points than selling a mm. Lukaku or someone for 50 million. So they're in a strong position from terms of being able to do things like that as well, albeit it wouldn't be necessarily popular to go down that route and they don't necessarily want to. But they've got things available to them to negate the impact of failing FFP or or potentially failing FFP. So there's not there's not some sort of... If we're asking clearly, is there some sort of crisis down the road where they're going to get dock points, transfer ban, and a fine? No. Worst case scenario, they get fine. More likely, they manage to sell off some players who actually avoid a fine. Yeah, we're, we're not Man City, yeah. obviously. I mean, come yeah. on. Chelsea, there not scared. lawyers of... around, and I am yeah. not answering that. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a lawyer. <laughs> Chelsea, not scared of FFP. For those reasons, Matt says, really, yeah. But um, it's quite interesting if it's better to qualify for the nothing or to get in the Europa League or Conference League as well at this stage. This is my big question, right? Chelsea obviously missed the Champions League in 2015, had that horrible season, Mourinho too into hitting and then into Conte, right? Um, Matt's beckoning for one one longer. Unbelievable. To be fair, he's he's drinking a bunch of water as well. Uh, (laughs) All right, guys. Editor Jake, one more break and then back for the last part of this live pod. Do you see next season, like in this scenario that we're building, right? Chelsea miss out on Champions League, miss out on Conference League even, right? Hmm. 10th right now. Um, As a chance for Chelsea to reset, potentially, you know, advance up the league because they don't have as many cup commitments. Yeah and get healthy again, which we haven't been in years. I mean, Chelsea have been the most yeah. injured team in the Premier League for years now. Do you see that scenario, or do you see it as like a three- to four-year I don't. I, I, I think I always think it's best to get into these competitions, especially Europa League. I think the competition is getting a lot better, and it's another route into the Champions League. It's not going to be easy to get a top-four finish. Um, it's good to have a backup option like that. So um, I think that... I think it's a prob I think it's a little bit of a problem. And also, how many of Chelsea's players are they gonna actually sell? Like they've got a something like a thirty two man squad, depending on who you include. I always include Lewis Hall because I think he's great. Chelsea don't <laughs> great Chelsea idea. Chelsea don't. Not on their not on their website. <laughs> he's, in, he's in the first team dressing room, yeah. but not on the first team not squad a, website. Yeah. Well or the roster. But, but I think game day. And then also Chelsea have the great academy as well. So you want these kids playing in Europe, it's it's a great option. So for me, um, I think it's a negative. I know the the last season that Chelsea won the league, they weren't in Europe, and we had that great run with Conte. But I don't know. I don't think I don't think necessarily that that's going to be repeated again. I think that maybe next season's too soon for something like that. I also think the the level of the league has gone up a lot. I mean, the points total Conte won the league with is less than what Liverpool and Man City have, have won the league with in in recent years. So I think for me, by, by like twelve points. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. uh, t- to your point. I mean that is that it's like ninety five points now feels like minimum to win the maybe yeah. Arsenal do it less this year maybe because yeah of the maybe goofiness. this year yeah but this year I think is an aberration yeah. right I mean I think in a normal year yeah. with a normal preseason yeah no World Cup no yeah. you know nonsense happening yeah. It's probably I think big, 95. I think it's simply put, big clubs want to be in Europe. I think when you're a West Ham or something like that, then maybe you can have a better season out of Europe. But if I'm a big club, I want to be in Europe, even if it's one of the lesser tier competitions. And hey, Chelsea could become the first English team to win Uh-oh. all three European there competitions. So, yeah, I want my European trips as well. So, yeah, Matt doesn't want it's them. some really interesting <laughs> locations to go to if we're going to conference Yeah, exactly. League. I mean, imagine... First, for literally, for the first time ever, I agree with this. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> and we're agreeing with The Athletic on this one. Yeah. <laughs> we're disag- Sorry, we're disagreeing with The Athletic on this one. Cause, oh, uh, yes, a rivalry. Yeah, Thank you. Because they... <laughs> Because they said they'd be better off out of Europe, and um, I don't agree with that necessarily. There goes your big contract at the Athletic. Uh, uh, could we delete that bit? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, since we do have you two, uh, obviously, if we can get the 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 pint refresh from Matt, so he keeps on going. A um, couple questions from the audience. If you guys have, raise your hand. We can call, and then I'll repeat it back into the mic for the podcast and yeah, yeah. run from there. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. Oh, look at that. Thank Topper. German the man in front. If the new ownership can have one decision back about something they've done, what would it be? If the ownership group could have one decision back, what would it be? Go on, Niz, while I think. 
Wowzers, what a question that I mean, is. Matt has to have a chance to enjoy could, his new beer. That's why. <laughs> I could throw a new sign in the bus here, really. I could. Um, I, I don't think they would do a new no. sign. No. What about the Tuchel timing, maybe? Oh, I've got one. Season? Yeah. The Go appointment on. of uh, Willoughby, who they then had to sack yeah. two weeks later. Yeah, that was yeah. that was, that yeah. was tough. I think, I think either sack Tuchel earlier or just let him have a bit longer and then let him absorb some of the stuff Pot has been going through because I think that Chelsea were always going to have a dip no matter who the manager was and maybe you just let you know Tuchel be the fall guy. I think maybe um yeah they'd have probably taken Tuchel through to the World Cup actually. Yeah. Not not in any detriment to Potter but just in terms of a cleaner transition and a cleaner break. I think probably if you ask them honestly they'd have taken yeah, taken Tuchel to World Cup. Certainly I would anyway. Wow, question from a, a pure pro from the comms area. like it. So, Hussein is talking about three to six year rebuild process. How long do you think Bowley's going to give Potter to do that? Do you think he's going to back him as a coach during that time? Or do you think he's going to get fed up? Or do you think the fans will push that on him? So the question is, if Bowley has a three to six year vision, how much of that is Potter going to get? Are they going to succumb to maybe fan pressure if it continues to go south? So what I can say for sure is the original plan um, was to give Potter all of this season and all of next season before they reviewed his performance. That was the original plan. The problem is, is they didn't foresee results going as badly as they've gone. And that has caused doubt within that plan. I think that's fair, fair to say. And now we're in a situation where they want to support him and they want to back him. But obviously, the next two two to three, four games are absolutely key for him. I mean, the next two games at home, I wrote it, Phil makes mm -hmm. I think yeah. make or break. Nizar wrote a similar thing. That's why we're here, Matt. And <laughs> yeah. We're here and to be the good luck charm, actually. Yeah. We're really here to be. So... It might be that results dictate that they have to ditch their plan, quite frankly. But if you ask them what they would like to do, they would like to stick to their plan. And I'm sorry if that doesn't quite answer your question, but it's probably the best answer I can give you. I don't know. I think your question had like a lot of interesting stuff in it as well about the fans and, and stuff like that. So I do think that they feed into the future of Chelsea. So if the atmosphere... Like, you might experience it tomorrow. I hope you don't. But um, if Leeds score first, I have a bit of a fear that we might experience, you know, some sort of mutinous atmosphere that we kind of experienced under Maurizio Sarri. Like, you know, the, there is a maybe a, a limit on the patience. So um, maybe it's one thing seeing it on social media, which I don't think is a good barometer. But when you're actually in the stadium and, and these are the fans that put the money down, that are sensible, that want things to go well, they want to believe in the vision, but they might lose faith in that. And also, when, when the fans are negative, it just drives team performance down anyway. So it's harder and harder to get out of the downward spiral. Yeah, and, and I think Potter's a great coach, and I think there was some sound reasons behind hiring him, but maybe it's just, you know, a fresh face can, can lift the club. I, you know, that, that would be the decision, but I don't know it, when it will be, but um, it, it, these outside factors do have an impact, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. So shock. I was going to say, quick, quick recap. So essentially, what uh, what is the rest of the league in Europe? How are they reacting to Bully kind of coming in and, and disrupting by signing these young, promising players to seven, seven and a half, eight-year contracts? Shock. Shock, quite honestly. I mean, a lot of other Premier League clubs and, and agents and Premier League chief executives are surprised by it. They don't, they don't necessarily share the logic behind it. I think it has caused a lot of a lot of debate and a lot of comment within it. They think that they're taking a massive bet and a massive gamble. Um, but it's certainly also caused a lot of interest. And if if it if at any stage in the next 18 months to two years it looks like it's a good bet, then you'll see people start to copy it. Albeit, obviously, um, UEFA have brought in rules that don't actually prevent you signing players on eight-and-a-half-year contracts. It's just in terms of FFP, it'll only be judged in terms of five years. So 
I think there's been some misreporting around that. Mm. It's not like you can't. Yeah. Or, or, it's can't a computational or, difference, is yeah, what it is exactly. now. Interesting. You, you'd still be able to do it, but I think if it looks like it's a good idea, people will start to copy it. And a lot of people are looking at it very interestingly, but it has caused a lot of surprise and shock and a lot of comment. When, when I talk to contacts, a lot of them want to talk about that. Well, I mean, Chelsea have done that many, many times over. Obviously, the loan army really kind of disrupted under Mike yeah. Lominalo and some things like that. Last one. Yep. Uh-oh. Oh, the, the old double trouble? Come on. <laughs> I've done that before. <laughs> All right, so how confident are you that Todd Bully can execute and pull off his grandiose plans after the first, mm. I guess, essentially year, really, um, mm. not even? And then part two was, what's up with Mason? Well, should we start with the, um, the plan confidence? I could talk about that. I think that with the big plan, I'm really confident in it in terms of long term. Like, I think that the stadium needed work. I think that some of Chelsea needed to change during the Abramovich era. Not that he didn't do a brilliant job, but I think that there was, there was ways to improve. I mean, Chelsea were run as a not-for-profit organisation, basically, before. But it actually had a negative impact in terms of, like, looking for marketing, progressive ideas, using data for recruitment, not emotional recruitment. Um, so I think that that's what we're moving towards. I think it's the right decisions. Uh, but then I think that they might have maybe a bit too much, in my opinion, is sacrificed the short term for the long term. And I think that that's what we're seeing playing out on, on the field at the moment, is that... Yeah, some of the decisions have been like sound for the long term, but you've got to play a goal scorer. You've got to not play youngsters in big matches and stuff like that. You know, I, I look at the Datro Fafana decision to play against Southampton. I thought that Southampton had a better striker on the pitch than Chelsea that day. Um, and maybe you play Aubameyang in that game. Um, so there's some decisions like that where I think, it's yeah. It's literally a phone drop moment that you <laughs> yeah, had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was just that's just my opinion, but that, you know, from what I'm seeing, way I'm reporting it and, and following the journey, that's how I'm feeling. And um, yeah, I guess on on Mason, I think that there is a, a huge danger he could leave. I think he could leave Chelsea. Um, you know, it really does depend on that boardroom, those conversations, what money is he offered, what role. It's not just about money. The money is important, but the money also dictates the role. If you're getting paid less than seven guys in the dressing room you're less important than seven guys in the dressing room. And, um, yeah, he's playing poorly at the moment. I think the contract negotiations are affecting him, but I think that um, sort of, like, you know, the, the role that he's going to play, he'll he'll raise his level to that role. So I think that it's about who bets on him the most at the minute. It's, do Chelsea bet on him? Uh, a lot of fans don't want them to. A lot of fans do. Um, I'm sure there's a bit of a divide in this room. So, um, yeah. Do you think it also comes down to the fact that it's... Mm being a results-based business and looking at it over the course of the last six to 12 months versus potentially a two to three year kind of back window where, you know, I mean, look at Mason, like in particular, like strongest performer for like multi-season yeah. element and having his down slump now into the end of the contract, making it difficult for him yeah. in also a time of crisis, maybe for the club and then decision makers to feeling like that is maybe influencing it very heavily, particularly as they transition to this new model of like, like we saw with mm -hmm. Reese, like multi-year, like really long-term contracts relative to, you know, maybe what is the traditional English model, which is like, hey, you know, four-year extension, five-year extension. Maybe yeah. that is at conflict too. I, I've got a strong opinion on this um, because Mason Mount has, by all metrics in the last two years, been in the top three Chelsea players by some considerable distance. Um, he grew 20, up 29 goal contributions yeah. last year, not to he, he put that in there. He grew up at Chelsea, he loves Chelsea, he's got leadership skills. He could be Chelsea for the next 10 years. I mean, I, I've got to say, I think it'd be a fucking disaster if they lost him. Yeah. I, I really do. I think it's that, that I, I think it would be such a failure of everybody involved if Mason Mount leaves Chelsea. And I don't think there's any point dressing it up as anything else, to be honest with you. And anyone who judges him just on the last six months or the last season and forgets what else he's done, 
in my opinion, is a bit of a moron. <laughs> um, We're talking about the the open assist in the Champions League final. That just, might be a good thing to kind of call just, upon. You know, people, you know, form will go up and down, and there's no doubt that this whole contract scenario has impacted his form. And there's no doubt that the situation around the club, you know, there, there was a good article actually in the Sun newspaper today about the amount of bookings he's getting at the moment. And he's, he's clearly annoyed and frustrated both by his contract situation and by the results. And he's coming on into games and he's getting booked and he's running around and, and possibly being too aggressive. But, I mean, God, if you, if you lose Mason Mount, you lose part of what the soul of Chelsea is at the moment. You know, I just can't fathom why anyone could possibly think there'd be any positive or anything not negative about losing Mason Mount. Yeah, he's yeah, a kid running around, Cobham, yelling top bins with his yeah. long hair, you know, <laughs> coming through the ranks. The flow. He did the business, he did the you, work. You've so. got to, you know, I cover England as well, and I know he doesn't always start for England, but if you talk to Gareth Southgate, Gareth Southgate loves Mason Mount. If you talk to Thomas Tuchel, who didn't actually start Mason Mount in his first game in charge, he yeah. loves Mason Mount. And I think probably Thomas Tuchel came into Chelsea with a preconceived idea that maybe Mason Mount wasn't quite what people were saying he was and then found out he is. I think everyone in football loves Mason Mount, really. Like any coach that you talk to just absolutely adores him. It's just that he... I think Declan Rice said it when we were covering the, the World Cup, didn't he? That maybe stylistically for an attacking midfielder, people want a guy who's explosive, beats people, um, and that kind of thing. But the goal involvements are really high. Like, And, and we're talking about faith, really, we, You know, in the future of Chelsea Football Club. And a lot of things that we're, we're talking about, it, it's kind of hard to imagine. But you don't have to imagine with Mason Mount. He's proven it. Yeah. And he's, um, he's a young player still. And it, it would be... I think it would be a crazy decision not to renew him. I know it's not easy because money's involved and things like that, but yeah. it's got to be done. Obviously, a uh, lot of Mason love on this podcast, yeah. uh, especially post-Porto when he came over and gave us uh, the yeah. shout-out, which is great. But anyways, Matt, your perspective on Todd and I've company? Forgot, I've, I've got to be honest. I'm really sorry. I've forgotten the exact question. Do you think that he can execute against the grand vision that he has laid out there with his ambition based on what you've seen up to this point? Yes, I do. Right. I, I am confident that in the long term, they will succeed. They've shown their ambition. They've shown their determination. Through various models, we know that they've got an awful lot of money and they've got more money to come. The, the money tap is not... At some point, it might have to lessen because of the rules around it, but in terms of what they want to spend, it's not going to suddenly get turned off. Mm. And... They, they are making mistakes. I don't think there's any point dressing up the facts and pretending that they're not making mistakes. They are making mistakes, and they will make mistakes, but they will get there. Um, I am absolutely convinced they will get there. Well, obviously, as Chelsea fans, that is great to hear. We're going to take a break. Thank you to Matt and Iz for to bringing the show siren on the road. That came through to signify the end of the first section. <laughs> and that is great. Um, but, yeah, we're going to take a break. Obviously, browse the jerseys, browse the kits, browse the shirts, and get a refill of your beer. Thank you, and we'll be right back. Jeez. Hey, everybody. That is the end of the live recording, actually. Uh, the guys did a second part, but it was a live Q&A, kind of just for the crowd that was there. So... Thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed. Hope you guys felt connected to the trip. And there's plenty more to come. We'll see you in the next one. Keep the blue flag flying high.